her success, you know, winning 23 titles, that is something that is not achieved by probably 98% of women tennis players. So the dominance that she had on the court, un undisputed, and she's embraced that greatest athlete of all time title, which she, she definitely deserves. Welcome to Pop Culture. I'm Bridget Armstrong. A little later on, we'll talk about the upcoming retirement of one of the best athletes of our time, Serena Williams. But first, let's get into the Pop Five. I heard the hot girls were outside this weekend. New music from Megan Thee Stallion dropped on Friday. The H-Town rapper released her latest album, Traumazine, and it reminded us that she is still the hottest of all the hot girls. The album is Meg's latest amidst her ongoing issues with her label. But despite the drama and the fact that the album had a few leaks, it still topped the iTunes chart. Traumazine has all of the get up and twerk bops that Megan is famous for, but it also takes you through a range of emotions. Megan basically told the Rolling Stone that you might be twerking one minute and crying the next. The 18 track album is probably her most personal with songs like Anxiety. And one song that has a very expensive feature from Future. Plus, there's other collabs with Lotto, Rico Nasty, Janae Aiko, and Dua Lipa, to name a few. And it's just what we needed for the hot girl summer, sad girl fall transition. Radio host Angela Yee recently dropped a bomb on us. She tweeted, The Breakfast Club as you know it is officially over. And the tweet left a lot of people wondering, what's going on over at Power 105? And it turns out, Yee is leaving The Breakfast Club to host her own show. But this isn't the end of the show's problematic pop culture reign. Unfortunately, DJ Envy and Charlemagne the God aren't going anywhere for now. But for a while, it really did seem like this was the end of The Breakfast Club. So people on Twitter started sharing their favorite moments from the morning show. Drake? <laughs> Drake? The nigga got body by pushing T? The nigga is hiding his kid from the world, but his world wanna hide from the kid? I wanna start this shit off straight, telling all three of y'all stop playing with my name. Let's go on there, let's go. Stop playing with my fucking name. Let's, let's do it on camera. Stop playing with my name. Let's I ain't go right on there. No when my name come up, respect it. It's funny that most of them are Charlemagne getting cussed out and people just calling out the Breakfast Club host for their general BS. I'm sure there'll be a few more of these before Angela Yee finally leaves to launch her show in the fall. The only question I have is who's gonna sit in her seat? I hope it's someone who'll be able to check Charlemagne and DJ Envy. Recently, new parents Rihanna and boyfriend ASAP Rocky have been spotted out. And we haven't seen too much of them since they welcomed their new baby boy in May. But there's something that might be putting a damper on family bonding time. ASAP Rocky was just charged with two counts of assault with a firearm. The alleged shooting happened back in November in Hollywood. A former friend of Rocky's claims he fired a gun twice in his direction. After coming back from a little vacay with Riri in April, ASAP Rocky was arrested in LA at the airport. 
and he was later released on a $550,000 bond. He's set to appear in court on Wednesday, and there's no word on if Rihanna will be standing by her man. But these charges are serious. If convicted, he could face up to nine years in prison. Real Housewives of Beverly Hills star Kathy Hilton is facing some major backlash. Recently, she was on an episode of Watch What Happens Live and just listen to what happened when they were playing a game where Hilton was asked to identify Lizzo. Precious? No, that's not Uh, that is Lizzo. She is precious, though. Lizzo's precious. That's like what I call her. Lizzo uh, is her precious. Precious to me. Yes. The whole thing is cringy, and Lizzo fans were heated. Precious is a bit of a controversial movie character played by the very lovely actress Gabby Ray Sidibe, who happens to look nothing like Lizzo other than their size. Some fans called the interaction fatphobic and racist, while others tried to argue that it wasn't because she didn't identify any of the other celebs, including Ryan Reynolds and Justin Timberlake. As if that's okay. Hilton responded to some comments on IG and blamed it on her eyesight. Who knows? But the way that Cohen and his crew handled that awkward moment doesn't really give off good vibes. Can you believe that Rogers and Hammerstein's Cinderella, aka the Brandy and Whitney Houston version of Cinderella, is turning 25 this year? Well, impossible things are happening every day, right? The TV musical premiered back in 1997 to 60 million viewers and became iconic in my book. After all, before Princess Tiana hopped onto the big screen, Brandy held the spot as the first black Cinderella and really first black Disney princess that little girls could see on screen. And the film's colorblind casting paved the way for diverse cast to shine after that. There really hasn't been anything else like it. And just last year, it was finally added to Disney+, and it gave the fans all the feels. Next Tuesday, ABC is re-airing Cinderella for Disney Princess Week. And after, they're releasing a special 2020 interview with members of the OG cast, crew, and a few celebs to talk about the film's impact. And speaking of things that are giving us nostalgia, there's a story we want to talk about that's shaking up our childhood memories of Nickelodeon, but not in a good way. Everybody who grew up in the kids' shows of the 90s and aughts has a lot of reasons to look back and shudder. Former Disney Channel stars have come forward with sexual abuse allegations and other awful treatment. And it seems Nickelodeon wasn't a sunny place for everybody either. A new memoir is stirring up some old allegations. And we're going to skim the whole thing in under four minutes. Here we go. The scene is March 2018. Stormy Daniels is suing President Donald Trump. The Cambridge Analytica scandal is about to break. Several of Harvey Weinstein's accusers have just given a moving speech at the Oscars. And Dan Schneider abruptly parts ways with Nickelodeon. And this was a big deal because Schneider was Nickelodeon's golden boy. A former child actor himself, he rose through the Nickelodeon ranks writing and producing. He's responsible for some shows that remain iconic for millennials and Gen Z, like Drake and Josh, Kenan and Kale, and of course, iCarly and all of its spinoffs. He also helped launch the careers of Amanda Bynes, Kenan Thompson, and Ariana Grande, all of whom appeared in his shows. At the time, Schneider and the Nickelodeon people made it sound like it was a totally mutual thing. But it turns out the network's parent company, ViacomCBS, had been investigating his behavior on the job. According to their report, 
Schneider was a yeller and his colleagues called him verbally abusive. At the same time, social media sleuths were pointing out some things they thought were a little weird. They found pictures of Schneider hugging teens on set. They picked apart moments from the iCarly era that seemed weirdly sexual, including a frankly bizarre number of scenes involving teen girls' bare feet. Schneider, for his part, denied any wrongdoing. And that 2018 Viacom investigation apparently found no evidence of sexual misconduct, just, you know, verbal abuse. In an interview with the New York Times last year, he called the accusations that he did anything inappropriate ridiculous. He said kids think feet are funny and the humor was, quote, totally innocent. Fast forward to this summer and the release of a hot new memoir from Jeanette McCurdy, one of the former child stars on iCarly and the spinoff Sam and Cat. In her new book, I'm Glad My Mom Died, she details some terrible abuse she says she suffered at the hands of her stage mom mother. And she has a lot to say about a Nickelodeon boss she just calls the creator. She claims this guy gave her alcohol when she was underage to loosen her up. She also says she was pushed into situations that made her uncomfortable, like being photographed in a bikini and having to retake a kiss scene. And when she finally left Nickelodeon, she said the network offered her $300,000 to keep quiet about all of it. A lot of people are assuming the creator is Dan Schneider, who was literally the creator of the shows that made Jeanette McCurdy famous. McCurdy makes it pretty clear. She says in the book that her boss got in trouble for accusations of emotional abuse. And that put attention back on Snyder and those DIY deep dives into some of the weird stuff that made it on screen during the Snyder era. There's a lot of those videos circulating on Twitter. And warning, some of those scenes are really hard to watch without cringing really hard. Tiny teenage Ariana Grande putting her bare toes in her mouth and moaning while gripping a potato. Like, what were the adults in the room thinking? That's all I want to know. So while the headlines are swirling, Suffice it to say that a lot of us who were raised on Nickelodeon are feeling a little weird about that. Women's singles champion, Serena Williams. There it is, Serena Williams, the seventh player in tennis history to win three consecutive Ladies Grand and Slam titles. Serena Williams is Wimbledon champion for the sixth time. Ladies and gentlemen, your 2012 U.S. Open Women's Singles Champion, the great Serena Williams. Serena Williams is one of the most decorated tennis players and arguably one of the most talented athletes to ever play any sport. She's a four-time Olympic gold medalist. She's won 23 singles titles. And at the height of her career, she was the highest-earning female athlete in the world. But now, Serena Williams is walking away from the game that made her famous. Williams announced her retirement in a Vogue piece earlier this month. The U.S. Open that starts in a few weeks will be her final tournament. And while Serena is leaving the world of tennis, she says her career is not over, but evolving. She says she does plan on expanding her family. Her and her husband have one daughter now. But she also has a lot of other projects in the works, including a venture capital company she started a few years ago. Williams is unlike any other player to play the game of tennis. How did she transform the game and our perceptions of what women can do in sports? 
Well, Serena is 19 plus years, almost 20 years, two decades in the sport of tennis. And when she came in, she was a teenager and really took the tennis world by storm, both her and her sister. Sabrina Razak is a Ph.D. candidate and an instructor who studies and writes about physical education with a specialization in women and gender studies. She researches media, sports, race, gender, and how all those things intersect. So the legacy of, if you want to compartmentalize it, within tennis, her success, you know, winning 23 titles, that is something that is not achieved by probably 98% of women tennis players. So the dominance that she had on the court, undisputed, and she's embraced that greatest athlete of all time title, which she, she definitely deserves. And I think you see it now, too, with many of the uh, players right now recognizing her legacy. So I think the actual way that she played the game, too, and how she disrupted the norms of tennis as well, that is something, too, that I think will have a lasting legacy. She challenged their dress code. She challenged the actual rules within tennis, too. And even her positionality, where she came from, what she had to overcome to be successful in that sport cannot be underscored being a Black woman in tennis. Althea Gibson was the first, and really the sisters didn't come till decades later. And then because of that path, she has forged a new path for all diverse representation of tennis players that we see now today. It is because of her. Venus and Serena Williams took the sports world by storm in the late 90s. Venus, the older of the sisters, was just a teenager, but she very quickly started winning titles and making a name for herself in a sport that wasn't used to athletes like her. In her own way, she helped pave the way for her sister Serena, who wasn't that far behind. Although Venus is still regarded as one of the best female tennis players to step on the court, these days you hear a lot more about Serena. But it's important to remember just how special their relationship is and how it helped them both in their careers. Both of them came in together and they had the ability to support each other. And they also had a family that was extremely loving. And yes, they had their challenges too. I, I'm not sure if Serena came in on her own, how her journey would have been different. We can't imagine that. They're the first sisters and the first African-Americans ever to claim the top two spots in the world rankings. Venus is ranked number one and coming off her win over her big sister at the French Open, Serena is right behind her at number two. And I think too, hopefully in our discussions about Serena, we can talk about how her relationship with her sister and the strength of their sisterhood together it just opened up this kind of new way of competing in tennis. You know, people tried to pit them against each other. People tried to, you know, make sure that they played each other in the final within the brackets. And they were always gracious with each other and they always showed love to each other as well. There was never any animosity. It was a class act, but it also paved the way for the, these up and comers to, to support each other. And I'm talking about the black and racialized athletes too. And I really think that their outward and public display of love for each other really encouraged and enabled that. That's, I think, a legacy of her too, that sisterhood within tennis. 
despite it being such an individual competitive sport, I'm a twin sister. And so my sister and I, too, were so close. We're best friends. We support each other. And whenever we saw Venus and Serena accepting awards together, we would call each other and we would cry because we were like, oh, my God, they love each other as much as we do. And it was amazing to see. How did you get over losing to her so fast? Well, someone has, someone has to win, someone has to lose. And that day I, I lost. And I was more than anything happy for Serena. I think it's just a difficult situation to describe unless you've been there and lived through it. It doesn't happen often. It's just happened between me and Serena in tennis. And, you know, I'm disappointed that I lost. Sure, I would have loved to have won the French. But at the same time, I'm really happy for Serena, especially since she hasn't won a slam since 99. Mm. And uh, more than anything, I've always been really proud of her, everything that she does. So I wanted to capture that moment. Yeah. <laughs> Serena Williams came onto the scene at such an early age. We've really gotten a chance to see her grow up and evolve as a woman and an athlete. I think when you come into to being a professional tennis player, especially them as Serena, as teenagers, you're hungry, you want to prove yourself. You had this unconventional way of coaching. You know, her father really rejected the junior tennis circuit, was like, I'm going to do my own thing. And then achieved success quite early. She holds the records in so many places for being the youngest, you know, having the fastest serve. 196, I think, was the fastest serve that Serena has done. I'm pretty sure that's still the title. Unbelievable, right? And I think her sheer power and force as well and her aggressiveness. Her aggression was also resisted by the media and framed as not something that you do specifically in tennis and only really reserved for the men. So that has been something that I think that she embraced all throughout her career. I think as she evolved and as a lot of athletes, as they get into their later years, they kind of have a better ability to balance their time and also recognize mentally what makes them stronger. And I think that Serena also did that, protecting and preserving her mental health and also being able to better handle some of the media questions around gender, around race, around politics. She became more seasoned in relation to her game. You know, obviously, I don't think she's not as as quick as she used to be on the court, but her ability and skill and, and IQ of the game is enhanced and far superior than obviously when she was younger. So that's what's been able to keep her in the game for as long as she has. But it hasn't been an easy road for Williams. She is one of the most celebrated and decorated women athletes, but she's also been one of the most controversial. And a lot of that controversy wasn't really fair to her. Even just coming into the game, just being who she is, she faced a lot of backlash. Her body size and her body shape. Tennis, it is classified as a acceptable feminine sport. So her being in that sport, she did get that Conditional acceptance because similar to swimming, similar to golf, synchronized swimming, beach volleyball, those are the sports where women are seen as, okay, you are given permission to play these sports. However, with the tennis bodies that are associated with women and femininity, slender, very slender build, and white. So, you know, we've seen the players, Monica Seles, Martina Hingis, Anna Korvakova. We saw 
all of these players to mostly blonde white women who were celebrated. Yes, they achieved on the court, but really celebrated for how they looked as well, right? So Serena faced and still faces that discrimination, racial discrimination compounded by gender discrimination as well. And I think for her to kind of demand that this is who I am, coming on the courts with beads, dancing on the court too, being proud that she was from Compton as well. Like, I think those are the things too where the tennis world was like a little bit shocked, but they were forced to, to almost tolerate it because she was holding up the trophies every time that she did it. That is something too that you just look back and you smile at the fact that these two women and her coming on the court with braids, coming on with cat suits, coming on with, you know, fashion that was stirring the usual all white dress codes was something that for me myself too, I was like, you know, cheering loudly from the sidelines, screaming at my TV because you're just like, finally. And then you saw a little bit of yourself in, in that too. The scrutiny that Serena Williams faced is unique because of who she is, but it isn't singular. Things are harder for women athletes in a system that largely caters to men. But throughout her career, Serena Williams has tried to push back and change that system. For female athletes, it's kind of like they have to adopt this position that, thank you for allowing us to be here. We're grateful that you've given me the opportunity to be in this sport. So that kind of ideology or narrative is attached to female athletes where you shouldn't really think that you should fight for equal rights. Like, do you really think you have the audacity to do this? So when Serena gained that popularity, you know, she's been the richest female athlete for decades. Recently, Naomi Osaka just passed her in that, but she's held that title for a while. But accompanying that too, if you look at the statistics too, Serena is also the most fined female tennis player ever. The match turning to mayhem after chair ump Carlos Ramos issued Serena a violation, claiming her coach had given an illegal sign from the box. If he gives me a thumbs up, he's telling me to come on. We don't have any code, and I know you don't know that. Serena seething. I don't cheat to win, I'd rather lose. So her demand for equality doesn't come with also being punished for speaking up. When she was pregnant and she said that women shouldn't lose their ranking or be penalized for coming back after maternity, you know, she was quite vocal about it and then gained support. And then the WTA shifted their policies because of that. In 2018, the Women's Tennis Association changed their policies so that women who were out on maternity leave or out because of an injury could return to the game without losing their previous ranking. And with the wage disparities, too, she formed a relationship with Billie Jean King, the founder of the WTA, that really then enabled that, you know, it's not equal all around the world, but it is much more equal within some of the tournaments, too. There's a tremendous amount of fighting left. Uh, there's so much... So many, so much difference between a woman, a woman's pay and a men's pay. In tennis, we're lucky that most tournaments, not all, are equal pay. But um, then there's off the courts things from endorsement deals to other stuff, and that's just should be more equal. Um, and so there's a long way to go. And also, I think the relationship with powerhouses like Nike as well, who supported her plight for equal rights and giving her a platform to make those commercials and also design her own shoe, be in the rooms as well. 
really demonstrated her power. A woman boxing was crazy. A woman dunking, crazy. Coaching an NBA team, crazy. A woman competing in a hijab, changing her sport, landing a double cork 1080, or winning 23 grand slams, having a baby, and then coming back for more. Crazy, 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 and crazy. And it forced kind of a new representation of the power that female athletes could hold. So I think combined with all of that and also the politics of our time really coalesced with her being able to transform the game in and outside of tennis. And now after a career of raking records, challenging norms and changing the system, Serena is walking away from the court. The U.S. Open that starts at the end of the month will be her last tournament. In her piece for Vogue, she talked about the difficult decisions that women athletes who want children have to make. After Williams had her daughter Olympia, she wrote about how she almost died in the days after giving birth. She developed a pulmonary embolism, a really dangerous blood clot, and she had to advocate to the doctors for her own health. And unfortunately, Serena isn't alone. Black women are almost three times more likely to die after childbirth than white women. And a lot of studies have shown that neglect and disregard from doctors and nurses have a lot to do with it. It kind of ignited that conversation about maternal rights, especially Black maternal rights and, and what they go through. Um, so again, it's different with someone like Serena versus non-Black athletes as well. So that's the first consideration that Serena, I know, would have in the back of her mind because of that journey too. And right now in every federation, even and also even Olympic Federation, a National Sport Federation, and the support within the federal government for maternal rights is just not there. In Canada, we have a, a much better system here, similar with other countries. So that factor plays a role even to think about becoming pregnant is financially, can an athlete afford to do it? And then also do their federation support them, right? And then health-wise. So there's financial and then there's health issues too, because no matter what, you have no idea how your body's going to respond to pregnancy. Absolutely none. It is such an unknown factor. And you also don't know what kind of kid, like having a healthy kid, there's so many things. So the health and the financial is such a big decision that, that they have to weigh with it. So for athletes, for female athletes too, it's a conscious decision. What supports do I have? And then also my body, how is it going to respond? The ability to bounce back after being pregnant. And I know we glorify these stories in the media, but it's not the norm. Like for someone to play and to win like Serena has, or for Allison Phoenix to come back and win, that ain't normal. And it also then places that unrealistic expectation on existing current athletes because they're like, well, look, she did it. She did it. What's wrong with you? Sabrina understands why Serena is retiring now, but as a fan and lover of the sport, she's torn in the decision. I'm of two minds when it comes to Serena evolving out of tennis. There's people who retire at the top and peak of their game. You look at Kobe Bryant, he retired on top. And then you see people, athletes Brett Favre or Sue Bird kind of taking this retirement tour. Are they at the top of their game? I would argue Sue Bird is still doing quite well in the WNBA and has the ability to retire at a really high level of achievement. And I think for Serena, unfortunately, what we've seen is a host of injuries for her, 
these past few years where she's had to retire during matches and then being eliminated as well. So that is something too, where for someone's legacy, I prefer when people retire a little bit more at the top of their game. Not when you're like, oh yeah, she kind of, you know, you can tell that she can't necessarily consistently be at the top of her game now because your body catches up to you. I think for every athlete, it is the most difficult decision to retire because it's so much of your identity is attached to being an athlete. And I think for her, that transition has started because she's involved in so many things outside of tennis. So that transition will be massively challenging, but also be met with so many unique opportunities that can just blossom. And I also appreciate now the opportunity for us to be able to to celebrate her in these last months. So I'm a little bit different with that. Like, I know she's saying that she could have played a little bit longer. I don't know if I'm convinced that her body necessarily deserves that. But that is me wanting to protect Serena Williams. I want to protect her body. I want her to be able to live a very long life that's where she's continuing to thrive in whatever areas she chooses. She's given so much to tennis. I, I know she will give to tennis in other ways. I don't necessarily think it needs to be on the court. So I want to talk a little bit about some of like our favorite Serena moments, get into some positivity as we're celebrating her. Give me like your top three, whether it's like a Grand Slam, the time she wore the cat suit, that's my favorite, or like anything else. What are your favorite, most memorable Serena moments? I think when she did the crip walk on on center court too, that has to be one of my favorite moments. And when I became a mother, when she talks about, I fight for all women, I fight for my daughter. And she talked about that in one of the, the press conference too. Honestly, she's one of the reasons why I went back and did my PhD. I saw how much she was fighting for women. I saw how much she placed the importance of also having a family and being able to achieve what she wanted to achieve outside of the home. It really did inspire me to believe in myself that, hey, you know, I I could do it. And then I also think, too, the agency that she kind of exuded with with Nike and the Dream Crazier ad, too. When I saw that, I got emotional watching it. And yes, Nike has its problems, understanding that. But for her to kind of place that significance on achieving her dreams and also recognizing that fighting for social justice accompanies that too. And I think that is something that I deeply believe in. And the fact that she centered that within herself as an athlete too, it's something that I know was really tough. And then I'll lastly say her relationships with Billie Jean King and the WTA to be able to um, change those rules as well knowing that she had a handle in that, I tip my hat off to her again. And, and I, I would say it's like a proudest moment. Like you're, you're looking at her and you're just, you're exuding with pride for her. As Serena Williams closes out her tennis career, Sabrina Razak hopes that we all learn lessons from her achievements and battles within the sport. With Serena, I think that she was mischaracterized and unfairly judged. And the toll that it took on her, I think that is not really understood by many. So that is something where the thick skin and being able to endure that everyday racism, public facing, she's able to share what she shared. And sometimes she would display those feelings of like, this is really hard, but not a lot, right? So 
I think it's like you almost want people to look back at their own behavior and their judgments of Serena and reflect on themselves. And that's what I hope people do because it angers me so much how ill-treated those sisters were in, in the game, even by other players and by the federations and by the media and by so many within the general public as well. So I think too, uh, my hope in her last month or so that people recognize how much she sacrificed for the game, how much she gave off the court, how transformational of a person she was, and then hopefully soften their position on those new ones coming up. That's my hope. And that's it for us this week. I'm Bridget Armstrong, host and senior producer of the show. And I work with a very talented team to make it happen every week. Alicia Key is our show's producer. We have production help from Blake Lou Merwin. Andrew Calloway is our senior engineer. And we had engineering help from Ellie McAfee-Hahn. And Graylin Brashear is our senior director of audio. Big thanks to Sabrina Razak for talking to us this week. We'll have links in the show notes to some of her work. We'll be back next week with an all-new episode. And in the meantime, be sure to rate, subscribe, and tell a friend. 